Chapter twenty four of the D'Artagnan Romances, Volume Three, Part One by Alexander Dumas, translated by William Robson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Treasure. The French gentleman whom Spithead had announced to Monk, and who, closely wrapped in his cloak, had passed by the fisherman who left the general's tent five minutes before he entered it, the French gentleman went through the various posts without even casting his eyes around him for fear of appearing indiscreet. As the order had been given, he was conducted to the tent of the general. The gentleman was left alone in the sort of antechamber in front of the principal body of the tent, where he awaited Monk, who only delayed till he had heard the report of his people, and observed through the opening of the canvas the countenance of the person who solicited an audience. Without doubt, the report of those who had accompanied the French gentleman established the discretion with which he had behaved, for the first impression the stranger received of the welcome made him by the general was more favorable than he could have expected at such a moment, and on the part of so suspicious a man. Nevertheless, according to his custom, when Monk found himself in the presence of a stranger, he fixed upon him his penetrating eyes, which scrutiny the stranger on his part sustained without embarrassment or notice at the end of a few seconds the general made a gesture with his hand and head in sign of attention my lord said the gentleman in excellent english i have requested an interview with your honor for an affair of importance monsieur replied monk in french you speak our language well for a son of the continent i ask your pardon for doubtless the question is indiscreet do you speak french with the same purity there is nothing surprising my lord in my speaking english tolerably i resided for some time in england in my youth and since then i have made two voyages to this country these words were spoken in french and with a purity of accent that bespoke not only a frenchman but a frenchman from the vicinity of tours and what part of england have you resided in monsieur in my youth london my lord then about sixteen thirty five i made a pleasure trip to scotland and lastly in sixteen forty eight i lived for some time at newcastle particularly in the convent the gardens of which are now occupied by your army excuse me monsieur but you must comprehend that these questions are necessary on my part do you not it would astonish me my lord if they were not asked now then monsieur what can i do to serve you what do you wish this my lord but in the first place are we alone perfectly so monsieur except of course the post which guards us so saying, Monk pulled open the canvas with his hand, and pointed to the soldier placed at ten paces from the tent, and who at the first call could have rendered assistance in a second. "'In that case, my lord,' said the gentleman, in as calm a tone as if he had been for a length of time in habits of intimacy with his interlocutor, "'I have made up my mind to address myself to you, because I believe you to be an honest man. Indeed,' The communication I am about to make to you will prove to you the esteem in which I hold you. Monk, astonished at this language, which established between him and the French gentleman equality at least, raised his piercing eye to the stranger's face, 
and with the sensible irony conveyed by the inflection of his voice alone, for not a muscle of his face moved. "'I thank you, monsieur,' said he. "'But, in the first place, to whom have I the honor of speaking?' "'I sent you my name by your sergeant, my lord.' "'Excuse him. Monsieur, he is a Scotchman. He could not retain it.' "'I am called the Comte de la Fere, monsieur.' said athos bowing the comte de la fere said monk endeavoring to recollect the name pardon me monsieur but this appears to be the first time i have ever heard that name do you fill any post at the court of france none i am a simple gentleman what dignity king charles i made me a knight of the garter, and Queen Anne of Austria has given me the court and of the Holy Ghost. These are my only dignities. The garter, the Holy Ghost. Are you a knight of those two orders, monsieur? Yes. And on what occasions have such favors been bestowed upon you? For services rendered to their majesties monk looked with astonishment at this man who appeared to him so simple and so great at the same time then as if he had renounced endeavoring to penetrate this mystery of a simplicity and grandeur upon which the stranger did not seem disposed to give him any other information than that which he had already received did you present yourself yesterday at our advanced posts and was sent back yes my lord many officers monsieur would permit no one to enter their camp particularly on the eve of a probable battle but i differ from my colleagues and like to leave nothing behind me every advice is good to me all danger is sent to me by god and i weigh it in my hand with the energy he has given me so yesterday you were only sent back on account of the council i was holding today i am at liberty speak my lord you have done much better in receiving me for what i have to say has nothing to do with the battle you are about to fight with general lambert or with your camp and the proof is that i turned away my head that i might not see your men and closed my eyes that i might not count your tents no i come to speak to you my lord on my own account speak then monsieur said monk just now continued athos i had the honor of telling your lordship that for a long time i lived in newcastle it was in the time of charles i and when the king was given up to cromwell by the scots i know said monk coldly i had at that time a large sum in gold and on the eve of the battle from a presentiment perhaps of the turn which things would take on the morrow i concealed it in the principal vault of the convent of newcastle in the tower whose summit you now see silvered by the moonbeams my treasure has then remained interred there and i have come to entreat your honor to permit me to withdraw it before perhaps the battle turning that way a mine or some other war engine has destroyed the building and scattered my gold or rendered it so apparent that the soldiers will take possession of it. 
Monk was well acquainted with mankind. He saw in the physiognomy of this gentleman all the energy, all the reason, all the circumspection possible. He could therefore only attribute to the magnanimous confidence the revelation the Frenchman had made him, and he showed himself profoundly touched by it. "'Monsieur,' said he, "'you have augured well of me, but is the sum worth the trouble to which you expose yourself? Do you even believe that it can be in the place where you left it?' "'It is there, monsieur. I do not doubt it.' "'That is a reply to one question, but to the other I asked you if the sum was so large as to warrant your exposing yourself thus.' "'It is really large, yes, my lord, for it is a million I enclosed in two barrels.' "'A million!' cried Monk, at whom this time in turn Athos looked earnestly and long. Monk perceived this, and his mistrust returned. "'Here is a man,' said he, "'who is laying a snare for me. "'So you wish to withdraw this money, monsieur,' replied he, "'as I understand.' "'If you please, my lord.' "'Today?' "'This very evening, and that on account of the circumstances I have named.' "'But—' "'Monsieur,' objected Monk, "'General Lambert is as near the abbey where you have to act as I am. Why, then, have you not addressed yourself to him?' "'Because, my lord, when one acts in important matters, it is best to consult one's instinct before everything. Well, General Lambert does not inspire me with so much confidence as you do.' "'Be it so, monsieur.' I shall assist you in recovering your money, if, however, it can still be there, for that is far from likely. Since 1648, twelve years have rolled away, and many events have taken place. Monk dwelt upon this point to see if the French gentleman would seize the evasions that were open to him, but Athos did not hesitate. "'I assure you, my lord,' he said firmly, that my conviction is that the two barrels have neither changed place nor master. This reply had removed one suspicion from the mind of Monk, but it had suggested another. Without doubt this Frenchman was some emissary sent to entice into error the protector of the Parliament. The gold was nothing but a lure, and by the help of this lure they thought to excite the cupidity of the general. This gold might not exist. It was Monk's business, then, to seize the Frenchman in the act of falsehood and trick, and to draw from the false step itself in which his enemies wished to entrap him a triumph for his renown. When Monk was determined how to act, "'Monsieur,' said he to Athos, "'without doubt you will do me the honor to share my supper this evening.' "'Yes, my lord,' replied Athos, bowing, "'for you do me an honor of which I feel myself worthy.' by the inclination which drew me towards you. "'It is so much the more gracious on your part to accept my invitation with such frankness, as my cooks are but few and inexperienced, and my providers have returned this evening empty-handed, so that if it had not been for a fisherman of your nation who strayed into our camp, General Monk would have gone to bed without his supper to-day. I have then some fresh fish to offer you, as the vendor assures me.' 
"'My lord, it is principally for the sake of having the honor to pass another hour with you.' After this exchange of civilities, during which Monk had lost nothing of his circumspection, the supper, or what was to serve for one, had been laid upon a deal table. Monk invited the Comte de la Fere to be seated at this table and took his place opposite to him. A single dish of boiled fish, set before the two illustrious guests, was more tempting to hungry stomachs than to delicate palates. While supping, that is, while eating the fish, washed down with bad ale, Monk got Athos to relate to him the last events of the Fronde, the reconciliation of Monsieur de Conde with the king, and the probable marriage of the Infanta of Spain. But he avoided, as Athos himself avoided it, all allusion to the political interests which united, or rather which disunited at this time, England, France, and Holland. Monk, in this conversation, convinced himself of one thing, which he must have remarked after the first words exchanged, that was, that he had to deal with a man of high distinction. He could not be an assassin, and it was repugnant to Monk to believe him to be a spy, but there was sufficient finesse and at the same time firmness in Athos to lead Monk to fancy he was a conspirator. When they had quitted the table, "'You still believe in your treasure, then, monsieur?' asked Monk. "'Yes, my lord.' "'Quite seriously?' seriously and you think you can find the place again where it was buried at the first inspection well monsieur from curiosity i shall accompany you and it is so much the more necessary that i should accompany you that you would find great difficulties in passing through the camp without me or one of my lieutenants general i would not suffer you to inconvenience yourself if i did not in fact stand in need of your company but as i recognize that this company is not only honorable but necessary i accept it do you desire we should take any people with us asked monk general i believe that would be useless if you yourself did not see the necessity for it Two men and a horse will suffice to transport the two casts on board the felucca which brought me hither. But it will be necessary to pick, dig, and remove the earth, and split stones. You don't intend doing this work yourself, monsieur, do you? General, there is no picking or digging required. The treasure is buried in the sepulchral vault of the convent, under a stone in which is fixed a large iron ring, and under which are four steps leading down. The two casts are there, placed end to end, covered with a coat of plaster in the form of a bear. There is, besides, an inscription, which will enable me to recognize the stone, and, as I am not willing, in an affair of delicacy and confidence, to keep the secret from your honor, here is the inscription, Hic Yacet Venerabilis, Petrus Guillemelus, Scott, Canon Honorab, Conventus Novi Castelli, Obiit Quarta et Decima, February, Year of Our Lord, 1208, Requiescat in Pace. Monk did not lose a single word. He was astonished neither at the marvelous duplicity of this man and the superior style in which he played his part, or at the good loyal faith with which he presented his request in a situation in which concerning a million of money 
wrist against the blow from a dagger amidst an army that would have looked upon the theft as a restitution very well said he i shall accompany you and the adventure appears to me so wonderful that i shall carry the torch myself and saying these words he girded on a short sword placed a pistol in his belt disclosing in this movement which opened his doublet a little the fine rings of a coat of mail destined to protect him from the first dagger thrust of an assassin after which he took a scotch dirk in his left hand and then turning to athos are you ready monsieur said he i am athos as if in opposition to what monk had done unfastened his poniard which he placed upon the table unhooked his sword-belt which he laid close to his poniard and without affectation opening his doublet as if to look for his handkerchief showed beneath his fine cambric shirt his naked breast without weapons either offensive or defensive that is truly a singular man said monk he is without any arms he has an ambuscade placed somewhere yonder general said he as if he had divined monk's thought you wish we should be alone that is very right but a great captain ought never to expose himself with temerity it is night the passage of the marsh may present dangers be accompanied you are right replied he calling digby the aide-de-camp appeared fifty men with swords and muskets said he looking at athos that is too few if there is danger too many if there is not i will go alone said monk i want nobody come monsieur end of chapter twenty four recording by john van stan savannah georgia